All right, if you would turn uh, to Lesson 12 as we continue our study on Bible study, and we're looking at Part 2. And tonight, we're our goal is to understand a specific method of Bible study. To understand a specific method of Bible study, we're going to see um, how to study the Bible. We're going to see the method that we do, and then we're actually going to get into looking at one verse of Scripture and um, breaking it down and and um, starting that process, and then we'll finish it next time that we meet. But we want to understand a specific Bible study method, and there are some principles of Bible study, and there are three parts to this study method, and they are observation, interpretation, and application. So first, let's look at observation. What is observation? In general, when you think about observation, what is it? Looking over the words. Looking over the words. Looking over whatever it is. You know, seeing the specifics, seeing what's right there in front of you. And so, whenever we're talking about Bible study, it's asking the question or answering the question, what does it say? So, what does the Scripture say? What are the words that are right there in front of me and what does it say? There, we're to read the Bible as for the first time. I think that's important whenever you are observing a passage. You know, so many times we'll read through a passage of Scripture and we'll be reading in the Gospel of John and we'll get to chapter 3 and we'll be reading, you know, verse 14, verse 15. Then we get to 16. We say, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then we go on to verse 17 and slow back down. And sometimes because we think, you know, that's just an automatic passage. We know what's there. But it's good to read the Bible as for the first time. That's one of the things that you should do um, if you read through the Bible in a year on a regular basis or something like that. If you read the Bible on a regular basis, a lot of times it's good to switch up different versions of the Bible um, just so that the words that you're reading are not the exact same words and stuff. Whenever you study the Bible, we recommend the New American Standard is what we use here at Stillwater Bible. That's what we recommend for studying. But, you know, whenever you're just reading the Bible, not really digging it and studying it, um, reading it in different versions um, is good because it helps you to read it as for the first time. Another thing you should do is read the Bible with the passion and the concentration level and the repetitiveness as you would a love letter. Um, you know, whenever your husband is overseas and, and you know, in the war and you get a letter from from him, do you read it and just like skim through it and, you know, throw it aside? Or do you pull it back out and reread it and, you know, and think about the words that are written there and say, you know, he said, well, that things are good. What well is good really good, or why didn't he say great, or um, is he saying good because it's really bad and he doesn't want to tell me what it is? You know, and a lot of times we look at that and we think, you know, what what is meant by what what is said here, and that's what we need to do with God's word. Listen to this. This is First Corinthians um, chapter two, verse nine. It says, "But just as it is written." The things which eye is not seen and ear is not heard and which have not entered the heart of man 
all that God has prepared for those who love him. And so the Bible is God's love letter to us. He's prepared it. He's written it out and he's got it there. And it's for us to dig and to read and to know what it says. Howard Hendricks says this, the more time you spend in observation, the less time you'll have to spend in interpretation and the better your results. The less time you spend in observation, the more time you're going to have to spend in interpretation and your results will be less reliable. And it's so true. That's what happens to us so many times is whenever we read a passage of scripture or some verses or a verse and we say to ourselves, what does that mean? That's where our first thought is. What does that mean? So I want to know what the meaning is. And so what do we do? We we jump ahead and try to dig for the meaning without seeing what's actually written there and answering the questions of what does it say? And so before we jump to what does it mean and looking at the interpretation, we need to look at what does it say and do some observation. Observation is biblically defined as Psalm 119.18, which we talked a little bit about last week, that open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. That's what we're wanting to do. We're wanting to open our eyes to see what's right there in front of us um, that we can know from God's word. And so that's what observation is. It's a good verse, like I said, to memorize um and to pray before you read the Word of God, before you study the Word of God, because we want to be opened up. We want our eyes to see what God has there for us. When you observe, you're to look at the verse in the passage from all different angles. I mean, that's another good thing to do To whenever you observe. You know, what is it? Who's writing the letter? And, you know, what is his position? And who's he writing to? And what is their position? And... Think about it as for yourself. You know, what do you see in that passage? And so that's what observation is all about. It's just seeing what's right there in black and white. And that's what we need to do. Now, whenever we observe a passage, we basically ask the the text six different questions. And those questions are who, what, where, when, why, and how. So we ask the text those questions. Who? what, where, when, why, and how. And we'll see this a little bit more and see how this works whenever we get to our passage in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 here in just a few minutes. But that's what you're doing. You're you're saying, who's there? You know, who's the author? Who's he writing to? Um, what What's being written? What are the words that are here? Where is it at? Where's this taking place? Where's he writing from? Is Paul, is he in prison? Um, where's he at? Um, whenever things are written. And then when, you know, in a time scale, when is this written? We're studying the the book of Daniel right now on Sunday mornings, you know, and when in this time period um, is is Daniel living? He's living whenever they're in captivity in Babylon. And so that's important in the flow of God's word is when things are happening. So we look at all of those things um, and answer those six questions whenever we observe a passage. So once we're finishing what's all right there in front of us, then next we move to interpretation. 
but we don't move to interpretation until we've gone through and answered those questions in observation. And what does interpretation do? It answers the question of what? What does it mean? Exactly right. It answers the question, what does it mean? And there are some key areas that we look at to determine the meaning of a passage. And so the key areas of interpretation are verbs, connectives, and keywords. Verbs, connectives, and keywords. So let's look at these just a little bit. You know, going back to uh, high school English, what do verbs do in a sentence? Action. They give the action. What's going on in this verse? And that's what we see is the action. And then there's connectives. What do connectives do? Exactly. The, the flow of the passage. Exactly right. And so that's what they do. They're key words that help us show the flow of the passage. And so let's look at some of these keywords, and we'll list them here and and um, see what they do. The first one is but. And what does but do? Yeah. Opposites or contrast. Um, and so that's what we're going to see in our passage that we're going to look at today. It says, Jesus says, you know, it's not now time for the kingdom, but it's time for you to be witnesses. So it's not time for the kingdom, but I have something for you to do, and it's time for you to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. And so, but shows contrast. The second one is for, F-O-R, and for gives explanation. For gives explanation. A good verse for that is Ephesians 2.10. In Ephesians chapter 2, in the first um, verses 1 through 7, that it talks about, you know, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we were dead, but then God, through His grace, His love, His mercy, He made us alive in Christ Jesus. He raised us up and He seated us in heavenly places. How did this happen? Verses 8 and 9. It's by grace that we were saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then verse 10 says, For... An explanation. Why did God bring you from death to life to seat you in the heavenly places? Why, did, why are you saved by grace through faith? He didn't do it for no reason at all. He did it because he has something for you to do. And he tells us in verse 10 what he has for us to do. He says, For you are my workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So he didn't save us for any reason. He saved us so that we would do the good works that God prepared beforehand for us to do. And so that's what we are to do with our lives. And so that gives explanation. And then the next one is as. And as gives the manner in which something is to be done. So as gives manner in which something is to be done. A good example for that is Ephesians 4.32. It says, Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So how are we to forgive others? In the same manner that God in Jesus Christ has also forgiven us. And so we don't just forgive 
whenever things are good. Or we don't just forgive little sins. We forgive all sins just as God in Christ has also forgiven us. Did you have a question? Okay. And then next is that or in order that. So that slash in order that. And that gives purpose or result. Purpose or result. In Romans 6, 12, it says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. So if you let sin reign in your mortal bodies, then what's going to happen? You're going to obey its lusts. So that's going to be the purpose. That's going to be the result of of allowing sin to reign in your life. You're going to obey its lust. You're going to go off and do the wrong things. And then the next one is therefore. Therefore. And it gives summary. JB always says whenever you see therefore, you see what's the therefore, therefore. And that means you have to go back and see what is it that he's summarizing. Um, a key Verse there is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of faith. And then he says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run the race with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so he says, Therefore, since we have all of these people of faith, therefore we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses Therefore, let's live our lives by faith. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is also another good one. You know that we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. Um, there's no one righteous. No, not one. But how are we saved? We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We have the peace of God, which comes through Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ that you find in Romans 8. And so he says, now that, you know, You've been saved and you've got this security. You've got the peace of God. Now, what do you need to do with your lives? And in Romans 12, 1, he says, Therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So that's the summary of those first 12 or those first 11, 11 chapters. He says, Now, what do you do with the information I've given you? You offer your life as a living sacrifice. And then the next one's a little tricky, and the word there is if. And if, in a general basis, has the idea of conditional possibility. Maybe it will, or maybe it won't. If it rains tomorrow, I'm not going golfing. And so, if it rains, I'm not going golfing, but if it doesn't rain, then I'm going golfing. And that's the way we think about it. But whenever you look in the Bible, it's a little tricky because if sometimes doesn't always mean if conditional possibility. And so there's three ways that if is used in the Greek, and you can write this out to the side um, just for your own knowledge. And um, if you come across an if in the Bible and you say, man, that can't be that can't mean a conditional possibility. It doesn't always mean that. And so let's let's think about this very quickly. In the Greek, there's a thing called the first class if. And first class if means if and it is true. If and it is true is a first class if. It's like in 1 John 4.11. 1 John 4.11, you can put that out beside there as an example. It says, Beloved, 
if God so loved us. So is that a conditional possibility? Maybe God loves us, maybe he doesn't. Does that sound right? No, we know he loves us. And so it's me it's better translated since beloved since God so loved us we also ought to love one another. And so that's whenever you see a first class if a lot of times you can change that word to since and see if it makes sense since s i n c e and see if it makes sense s e n um so anyway um see if that makes sense and if it does then it's probably a first class if or you can go back to the greek and look at it and see if it is but um that's a good example then there's also a second class if in the greek and that means if and it is not true if and it is not true <clears throat> a good example is john 18:23 jesus answered him if i have spoken wrongly testify of the wrong. Do you think Jesus had spoken wrongly? No. So if and it's not true that I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. And so that's a second class if. And then the third class if is the if that we think about all the time, that conditional possibility. If I do this, then something will happen. A good example of that is 1 John 1, 9. It says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, if maybe we will, maybe we won't. But if we do, then He is going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So if you see the word if, that's a little tricky one. And so you got to think about those three aspects. And then the final one there is because. And because gives reason. Because shows reason. Ephesians 5.16, it says, Therefore be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. So if you don't make the most of your time, then what's going to happen to your time? The evil things of this world are going to eat them up. If you don't make the most of your time, if you don't schedule your time, if you don't purpose your time, then what's going to happen? The things of this world's going to eat up your time and you're going to lose your time. And time is something that you can never get back. So we have to use our time wisely. So those are some words that get their connective words that help us show the flow of the passage. And they're very important in determining what is being said and the meaning of a passage. And then C down there is keywords and keywords are any words that need to be understood or explained keywords are any words that need to be understood or explained so if i were to say to you first john 2 2 he is the satisfactory or he is the propitiation not for our sins only but for the sins of the entire world he is the propitiation what does propitiation mean does everybody know what that means Okay, so that would be a key word for you guys, but it's not necessarily 
may not be a key word for me because I know what that word means. It means satisfactory payment. Um, yeah, and so it's a satisfactory payment. I know what that word means, and so it may not be a key word to me, but yet it still may be a key word because, you know, it's different from... Um, you know, the covering of sin that happened in the Old Testament. He was the satisfactory payment. So that is an important word. It's a key word for me, but it's a key word for me in a different way than it's a key word for you. But key words can be any can be different for different people based on um, their knowledge, their information, um, and what they see in the passage. And so, um, but key words are any words that need to be understood or explained. So as we go through observation and interpretation, that takes most of our time. But then we get to see application. And this is where a lot of people stop. They, they don't go on and fulfill. Well, okay, now I've got all this information and I know what this passage means. But now what do I do with it? You need to do something with God's word. And so there in application, it answers the question of what do I do now? So what do I do now? Yeah, I'd mark out what was in what you have in there and change that to what do I do now? So how can I apply this passage to my life? What are the truths that I can take and live out? You know, the, the key is if you want something to stick, you have to apply it. That's what Chuck Swindoll says. If you want something to stick, you have to apply it. I can have a piece of duct tape, and boy, that piece of duct tape is real handy. But if that chair leg is falling off, I can have this piece of duct tape and, and wind it around and look really good, but it's not going to do me any good unless I apply it to the chair leg. That's when it's going to stick. And so we have to think about that with God's Word. We always have to be applying and taking God's Word because the Bible study is not for knowledge and information, but it's for application. It's for changing our lives to be more like Christ. But there's two keys to application. A is always base applications on the interpretation. Always base applications on the interpretation. So if I just read a passage of Scripture about prayer, then my application cannot be that I need to go to church every Sunday because my application needs to be based on my interpretation. So it needs to have something to do with prayer, that I need to add prayer to my life. I need to make it more important. Whatever it is that you that you see as an application based on the interpretation. And then B is make the application personal. Make the application personal. You know, I read this passage of Scripture and a good thing for people to do with this information is to pray more. No, you put, Carol, you need to pray more. Don, you need to pray more. Not just in general, people need to pray more. It's, I need to pray more. And so whenever we study the Bible, make it personal. Make it about yourself. 
unless you're teaching a group of people, then your applications can be more generalized. But for personal Bible study. All right, any questions about observation, interpretation, and application of the general principles? All right. Well, let's turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 13 to get a flow of the passage, but we're going to key in on verse 8, and we're going to study just one verse, verse 8. We're going to begin tonight by looking at observation. We're going to observe um, Acts 1.8, and then next week we'll get the interpretation and application of this verse. But look with me at Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 and going through verse 13. So basically, we get a flow of flow of this passage by reading from verse 1 through through verse 14 and we see what we're going to be looking at but now we're going to do the observation of this passage and in your um, book there you can see it says who what where when why and how and so we're going to answer those questions as a group here so go back to verse 8 specifically and see if you can see some who's that are in that verse. Do you see any who's? Okay, so you. So who is that you? Who's he talking to? Christians, but more specifically, who's he talking to? To the apostles, exactly right. And even more specifically, he names them out down there in verse 13. That's why we went all the way down through there. Um, so some who's in this passage, we can say the you are the apostles and the apostles are written out down there. If we want to see who they are, who else do you see in this? Okay. Holy spirit, but you'll see power when the Holy spirit. So we think to ourselves, okay, so uh, who is the Holy spirit? And, you know, it's something you can think about. So who is the Holy Spirit? Um, you know, and you can investigate further if you need to, or you may know who the Holy Spirit is. You may know his ministry um, in the lives of Christians and things like that. But the Holy Spirit and then has come upon you again, that you is the same you and you shall be what you shall be what? What does it say? My witnesses. So who is this my here? Jesus, because Jesus is the one who's saying this to them. And so Jesus and my witnesses. So, you you know, witnesses um, could be another who. What are some other who's? Exactly. The people in Jerusalem, the people in Judea, the people in Samaria, the people to the remotest parts of the earth, which actually includes us. What's another who? But there's another who that's pretty important, and that is, who's the author? No, who's the author of this book? Who wrote Acts? 
Luke's the author. And so that's an important thing. That's an important who. So anytime you're reading through a, through a book and you're wanting to study, I mean, you got to see who is it that who wrote this thing? Who's he writing to? Writing to he's, he's writing to a specific person. He says in verse 1, the first account I composed Theophilus. And so he's writing specifically to a man named Theophilus. Now he's writing to all believers, anybody that reads it. But specifically, you know, is who he's writing to. Yeah. If you go back to Luke, you see that he writes to the same person, the, the Gospel of Luke. And so he's writing to this specific person about these things. But again, just because Ephesians is writ written to the church at Ephesus doesn't mean that it's only for the that church at Ephesus. We can use it and um, take information from it and make application in our lives today. The The... Theophilus means lover of God is what it means, but um, as to who specifically this guy was, and you know, we don't know. Us, lovers of God. Yep. Okay, so we got a bunch of who's um, that we that we've got there, and there's even more than that that we can that we can think about. But let's go on to what. So what's happening there? This is not the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is coming in the future. Yeah. But he, but what are they doing? What's happening here? Okay. He's getting ready to, but back in verse 8, what is he doing? What's happening? What are they to be doing? Okay. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. So basically, they're in a waiting pattern. They're in, they're in a waiting pattern to get this that He's promised. And so the power to witness is what they're waiting on. And what are they to do once they have that power? To be witnesses. So where is this taking place? Down to where? Huh? Yeah, Mount of Olives. Because yeah. that's where it says down there in verse 12, they're to return to Ju Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. And so that's where they actually were when Jesus ascends back into heaven. And then what are some other wares that are in this passage? In ver or in this specific verse. Exactly right. And we'll think about those um, later on too and see some importance about that. But right now we're just looking at what's right here before us. What can we see? And then when did this occur? When it occurred? You 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 have to you have to see the the thing as a whole, and you have to know the Bible to, to figure it out. But um, if you read on and you get on into chapter 2, you know that the day of Pentecost happens how many days after Jesus' death and resurrection? It's 50 days after. 
and they wait 10 days for um, the Holy Spirit to come upon them on the day of Pentecost. So you know that it's it's 40 days. Yeah, the 40th day after the resurrection of Christ in the future. So that that's a more difficult one, and we didn't read far, to, far enough to get all of that. Um, but I think there's even a more important when. When did this happen? Exactly. So these are his last words. This is what he's, he's leaving you with. It's not time for the kingdom. It's not for you to know the times or the epics. But what I've got for you to do and what you need to be doing right now is to be waiting for the Holy Spirit. And once you get that Holy Spirit, you are to be my witnesses, beginning where you are and spreading out throughout the whole world. And so the important win there is um, it's Jesus's final words before his ascension. When's the Holy Spirit going to come upon them? Based off of what Jesus has told them right here. Just in what we've read. They have no earthly idea. Exactly. You don't know when, but if you read on, you find out the answer. But if you were just right here digging it, you'd say, man, when? But that leaves you with that, you know, what do you think they were thinking? What do you think they were thinking? But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Okay, He ascends back into heaven. Now we go back in this room and we're, we're continuing to pray. And, and um, well, you know, days go by. Well, um, you know, when's this ever going to happen? Is it going to happen today, tomorrow? Is it going to be next week, next year, next month? And so, you know, that you can you can kind of feel that anxiety and live with them um, as you're studying the scripture. And so you can think about that at that point in time. But you would ask yourself, that's one of the wins that you would ask yourself. Why? So why is this included? Why is it placed here? Why does it follow that? Why does it precede that? So what's a why? Why is something that the a question that even kind of begins to dig meaning? Why, if you go back to verse seven or back to verse six, what did they ask him? Lord, is it at this time you're to be restoring the kingdom? And I mean, it it was a legitimate question. It was a good question. Um, because what had he been what had he been talking about? He had been talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And so, you know, a good question is, is it now time? And he says, Hey, it's not for you to know, but what I have you for you to do is to be my witnesses. So it's Christ's response to their question that it's not time for the kingdom. It's not um but rather the commission. So why why are they having to wait? Because they need this power. Why do they need this power? Because um, of all the persecution that's getting ready to come upon them. Why do we need God's power whenever we go out to be witnesses? Because we can't do it in our own strength, in our own power, in our own might. So we need to wait for His power, um, for His timing, His guidance. Why Why would we want to be witnesses? Yeah. 
And so that had to be a scary thing. Yeah, exactly. They had to live by faith at that point in time because he was no longer with them. But why why did he why did he leave them to be his witnesses? Because he's no longer there. And somebody needs to tell the story. Otherwise, how is the body going to grow? How are people going to... How are we going to uh, bring others to faith in Christ? Faith comes from hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ. And so we have to give others the Word of Christ. So someone has to be a witness to tell um, the, the truth. Okay, and then how? How are they going to be witnesses? Exactly, in the power of the Holy Spirit. How are they to do it based off of the end of that verse? They're to begin where? Begin in Jerusalem. Where were they to be? They were to be in Jerusalem. He says, stay in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so you start where you are. And then you go to Judea. If you look on a map, Jerusalem is a city. Judea is an area. Samaria. Samaria is, is a farther portion of where they're at. It's also people that they didn't necessarily like. So for us OSU fans, that's like going to Norman to, to share the gospel with those people we don't even like. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then even to the remotest parts of the earth. But even for us, that makes a good application that we'll talk about um, whenever we get to application. But we need to start where we're at. We need to start in the sphere of influences that we have. We don't have to transport to another country in order to be witnesses. We're to start where we're at. That's what he told his his apostles to do. All right. So at the back of your book, there's another one of these sheets that you can make copies of. So if you want to go and um, do observation, interpretation, application on um, another passage of Scripture, that's in the back of the 412 book that you can make copies of and continue on and do this on your own. Um, But all we've looked at so far is the observation. Next week we'll get into interpretation and application. So any questions about anything that we've looked at this evening? All right, well, let's go through the summary here. Number one says the three key areas of Bible study are observation, interpretation, and application. The three key areas of Bible study are observation, interpretation, and and application. Number two, observation answers the question, what does it say? Observation answers the question, what does it say as we answer six questions? In number three, interpretation answers the question, what does it mean? as we look at verbs, connectives, and key words. Interpretation is what does it mean 
as we look at verbs, connectives, and key words. And then number four, application answers the question, what do I do now as we make personal application based on our interpretation? Application answers the question, what do I do now as we make personal application based on our interpretation.